Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, October 28. I'm Tom Tilly. Now, this is the 911 call that came right after the shooting on the Alec Baldwin film set last week. We need a met, we need an ambulance out at Bonanza Creek Ranch right now. We've had two people shot on a movie set accidentally. Since that tragic death made headlines around the world, more evidence has emerged about what happened in the moments leading up to the shooting. that yelled at me at lunch because asking about revisions. His mother did you see him lean over my desk and yell at me? He's supposed to check the guns. He's responsible. As you can hear there, there are reports of chaos on the film set, including members of the crew who walked off in protest. And as you heard there, in particular, it was the assistant director, not the armourer, who handed the gun to Baldwin and told him it was cold. Now, one of the other revelations is that the 24-year-old armourer also questioned her own level of experience on a podcast just a month before the incident. It was also my first time being head armor mm-hmm. as well. And wh- how was that? You know, I was really nervous about it at first and I almost didn't take the job because I wasn't sure if I was ready, but doing it, like, it went really smoothly. I think loading blanks was, like, the scariest thing to me. So that was Hannah Gutierrez Reed talking about the last film she did with Nicolas Cage. Now, in this episode, we're going to explore all of those concerning issues about the set of Rust. And we're going to do that with Australia's leading armourer, John Bowring, who was the armourer on The Matrix, X-Men, Australia, Alien Covenant, all the way back to Crocodile Dundee. It would have to be a fairly heavy projectile to carry through one person and into another. They should never be on a film set. That's our briefing topic right after today's headlines with Jan Fran. Hello, Tom. Yes, the federal government is hopeful that all adults will start receiving COVID booster shots from next month after drug regulators approved third doses of Pfizer for the general population. Australia will be one of the most highly vaccinated societies in the world, one of the most recently vaccinated communities in the world and one of the first to receive a whole-of-population booster program. That's Greg Hunt there, the health minister. Jan, I guess when you um, delay your rollout, you get to be the most recently vaccinated community in the world. Yeah, that's right. That's really good spin by the health minister there, isn't it? Yeah, he reckons that by January of next year, there will be 1.6 million Australians who will have had six months after their first dose, so they'll be ready for that booster shot, and he reckons we've got plenty of Pfizer to go around. Yeah, so they're waiting on uh, ATAGI, which is the expert immunisation panel, to sign off on the plan for boosters, which should be available from November 8th, so in about a week. Yeah, that's right. Now, they also say that if you got an AstraZeneca shot, like myself, I'm, mm. I'm double-dosed with AstraZeneca, that you would be available for the Pfizer booster, and they reckon that research shows it's okay to mix those two and you'll still get a very good amount of coverage. And the US is offering to let Julian Assange serve any jail time in Australia in a bid to have the WikiLeaks founder extradited from the UK. Yeah, so in January, a UK judge ruled that Assange couldn't be extradited to the US because uh, he would be a suicide risk if he ended up in US custody. Overnight, though, the US government started their appeal. Um, They gave assurances about how Assange would be treated. They said that there would be no solitary confinement for him during or after the trial. And then they said that any sentence that he was handed down could then be served in Australia. Yeah, that is a really interesting development. 
Here's Assange's fiancée, Stella Morris, speaking outside the court. What's at stake here isn't what is argued in court today. It's about whether the UK courts are going to extradite a journalist to the country that conspired to assassinate him. Yeah, so what Stella Morris is talking about there is a revelation that last month the Trump administration um, and CIA officials had discussed abducting and, and possibly assassinating Julian Assange while he was seeking refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what difference this makes, this idea that he could serve the sentence in Australia and whether that changes the strategy in the Assange camp. And the former MP who was in a relationship with the former New South Wales Premier will be questioned at ICAC today. Yeah, so Daryl Maguire will take the stand, which will be very interesting. Um, It comes after evidence yesterday from a state bureaucrat that said uh, Daryl Maguire communicated regularly with Gladys Berejiklian while she was Treasurer and Premier. Someone in the Deputy Premier's office had told me that uh, uh, Daryl was well regarded by the, uh, uh, the Premier and... Uh, that uh, he had the ear of the Premier. Yeah, that was Department of Regional New South Wales Secretary Gary Barnes speaking before ICAC there yesterday. Um, He said that while Gladys Berejiklian was Treasurer, that there had been strong interest in funding proposals that had been advanced by Maguire. We've seen a few people this week, Tom, say some fairly damning things about Gladys Berejiklian. Well, yeah, there's been a procession of people saying that she should have declared the relationship and that if she did, they would have acted differently in the consideration of these two grants. That's several people saying that she broke the code of conduct by not declaring that. More questions will be asked to ascertain whether she allowed or encouraged corrupt conduct, which is one of the the things that ICAC's investigating. And that might be part of the questioning that we hear today. And the question on unvaccinated tennis stars at the Australian Open is getting really messy after the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has now contradicted his own immigration minister and the Victorian Premier, Dan Andrews, has a different line from his own sports minister. I'm trying to keep up to speed with this and I was, I was doing a bit of reading about it. I'm like, well, hang on, who said what, when? So this, mm. this is what we know. Last week, Alex Hawke um, at the federal level and Dan Andrews, the Victorian Premier, they were on a unity ticket here, right? They were like, no entry for unvaxxed players. Mm-hmm. And then the Victorian sports minister, Martin Pakula, said that it was an ongoing discussion, so leaving the door a little bit open mm. there, and that players might be treated like everyone else, um, meaning that unvaccinated travellers can come in, but they have to quarantine. And now the PM has echoed the same sentiment as Martin Pakula. Well, the same rules have to apply to everyone. If I wasn't double vaccinated when I got home from Glasgow, I'd be doing two weeks of quarantine in Sydney. So the same rules apply to everyone, whether you're you're a Grand Slam winner, a Prime Minister. Yeah, so they can't really uh, seem to agree with each other, even in the same governments. I mean, the Australian Open is not till January and Victoria is 80% fully vaccinated, you would assume by January, just given where they are on first dose, it's going to be, you know, 95% of the population vaccinated. If the tennis players quarantine and test negative, Mm. surely we can let them in. 100%. I think it's way over the top. And I think sort of Dan Andrews' authoritarian streak might be tested on this one and he might have to back down. Because the question is for Victoria, if they're going to take such a hard line on the tennis, will they do it on the Grand Prix? And we discussed this earlier this week on the briefing. Um, it becomes a bit awkward for these international big sporting events, which I imagine after the last two years, they're desperate to keep. Yeah. And, you know, we've got the world's number one and Novak Djokovic, he won 
last year's Australian Open. I mean, he's sort of come out and said he's not going to reveal whether or not he's mm. been vaccinated. So it does sort of end up being this political sticking point, doesn't it? And the sooner they sort it out, I think, the better for everyone. Police in New Mexico in the US have confirmed the shot fired by Alec Baldwin on the movie set that killed the cinematographer and injured one other was a live round, despite the fact the assistant director who gave the gun to Baldwin said it was a cold gun. Yeah, authorities have um, been given an update on their investigation this morning. They say that they found 500 rounds of blank dummy and live ammunition on the set where the shooting occurred last week. And it's interesting to note that Alec Baldwin um, so far hasn't been facing any criminal charges or the threat of criminal charges, although the New Mexico police say that remains open. Um, The other question will be, what repercussions he could face as the producer of this film. That's right. He definitely has a dual role on that set as both actor and producer. All right, Jam, we'll catch you again tomorrow. Um, I'm going to get much deeper into that Alec Baldwin story right after this message. All right, now to our briefing on the tragic film set shooting of Helena Hutchins, the 42-year-old cinematographer on the set of Rust last Thursday, American time. Now, some of the big questions coming out of this are, why were there real bullets on the set? Why were crew walking off the set in protest leading up to this shooting? And will the tragic death of Helena Hutchins be the end of real guns on film sets in Hollywood? And I guess really the sad underlying question to all of it is, how could Hollywood let this happen again? Now, new evidence from the police investigation has already uncovered big problems on the set of Rust. And in a moment, we'll speak to John Bowring, the Australian armourer. First, let's go to Hollywood with Mark Malkin. He's the senior editor at Variety and host of the Just for Variety podcast. Mark, we're learning more about what happened on set through the police investigation. What, what do you think are the most alarming revelations? I mean, I think the most alarming revelations is when we're hearing that many members of the crew walked off the set just hours before this tragedy. There was obviously chaos. There were obviously problems on the set. There were obviously people bringing up these problems to the higher ups. And the answer was, let's just keep shooting. One of the most alarming parts of this story for me is reports that this weapon was used for target practice offset by the crew before it was handed to Alec Baldwin. And that that may explain why there were live rounds, bullets in this case, mixed up with blanks. What are you learning about what went on and why that target practice might have been happening? We haven't been able to confirm that there was target practice, that there Mm. were um, someone using this live ammunition. But the fact is, at some point, there was live ammunition put in this gun. Why? Mm. Why was there live ammunition anywhere near this gun, anywhere near this set? It makes no sense. And what about the procedures on set, the the fact that the assistant director was even handling the gun when a normal protocol would be for the armorer to hand the gun to the actor? That is another big question here is what was the chain of command here, the chain of transfer of this firearm? If the person is completely qualified and knowing what they're doing, they would have opened that gun and seen that there was live ammunition here. So for someone to call out cold gun, meaning Mm. that it was safe to use, that means it was not checked. Yeah, so that's Assistant Director Dave Halls. What's been the reaction from inside Hollywood? Because I I think I got the sense from some of the initial reactions that 
people just couldn't believe that this would happen again on an American set, that, you know, high-profile deaths like Brandon Lee, for example, would have taught the industry a lesson. That's exactly what everyone thought. That's why this is so shocking. Obviously, this is a very rare thing that happens. And the fact that it ever happened again is truly shocking. And right now, there are a lot of people in Hollywood who are calling for the ban of firearms on movie and TV sets. Because they said, you know what? We could recreate anything on a computer. Mm. We create massive explosions. Why are we using real firearms? And I think what people have to realize is what we keep calling a prop gun. You know, I think that for a lot of people, I know for me for a very long time, you thought it was almost like a toy gun that mm. it couldn't actually be used, that it maybe made a noise, but it wasn't actually a gun. A prop gun is a gun. Do you think this will be the end of real guns on film sets? I think this is going to be a long discussion about that. You are going to hear more producers saying, you know what? It's not worth it. Mm. It's not worth it. One person died here. You know, Brandon Lee died. This, Why bother? If we could recreate this in a computer screen or, or with sound effects, let's do that. Let's bring a real prop gun to set, meaning a gun that's more like a toy gun that is not usable as a lethal weapon. What's this going to do to Alec Baldwin, do you think? This is clearly incredibly devastating, obviously more devastating for Helena Hutchins' husband and, and son. But for Alec Baldwin, what, what happens from here? You know, for Alec Baldwin, this is devastating in all areas. Obviously, there was no intent here. This is a man who was handed a gun on a set, was told by the assistant director that it's cold, meaning that you could use it. But Alec Baldwin is also a producer on this film. Yeah. So I don't think it's a stretch to suspect that there are going to be many, many lawsuits involved here. I don't think we've heard of any yet, but I think they will be coming. And as a producer on the film, Alec Baldwin will be, you know, involved with these lawsuits, no doubt about it. You know, the thing that people need to understand here also is that this was not a big production. This is not a big Disney movie. It's not a Marvel movie. It's not a Warner Brothers or, you know, or a big Netflix production. This is a small, independent, scrappy film that had a lot of people financing it, a lot of different companies. That's how a lot of independent films get made. So all of these companies are somehow going to have to answer for what happened on this set. This is just devastating for anyone involved and obviously for anyone who witnessed this. That was Mark Malkin. You can check out his podcast just for variety. Now, John Bowering has decades of experience in Armory and some very strong views on what happened in America. Um, as I mentioned, John's credits include The Matrix, Alien Covenant, Two Hands, The Thin Red Line. The list is very long. John, what's your reaction to this tragedy? Well, it, it is a tragedy. It's truly a tragedy. My reaction is, of course, like everyone else, what the hell could have gone wrong? As we find more facts about it, it appears that um, it was most likely a, a live round, and by live round we mean a cartridge with a projectile rather than a blank. Because of the injuries caused, it would have to be a fairly heavy projectile to carry through one person and into another. They should never be on a film set. We have quite strong regulations with that in Australia. Yeah, there are reports that this weapon was used offset for target practice before it got into Alec Baldwin's hands. Is that something that ever happens on sets that you've worked on? No. 
No. That would be a breach of our licensing conditions. It would also be a breach of um, Film Safety Code, which is quite explicit about the fact that no live rounds should be on set. There is one place that live rounds are allowed on set, and that's with the Animal Wrangler, and we try to make sure that that's a different calibre than the firearms that are on set. Are these Australian codes you're talking about? How does what we do here different to what they do in the US? I mean, is it normal to have bullets on a set in the US? Well, it is, but it's normal to have a whole pile of people on set or in their vehicles have their own firearms in the US, which is very unusual in Australia. It's not usual in the US for an armourer to bring live ammunition to set. I've worked with a lot of American armourers, including the young armourer's father, Phil. It's just not usual to have live ammunition on set. Sorry, just to clarify, are you saying you know Hannah Gutierrez Reed's father? Yes, Phil Reed. Wow, okay. So tell us more about this family. Well, Phil is a highly respected and highly accomplished shooter, as well as theatrical armourer. You know, he's been five times world champion, quick draw artist, and he's been a stuntman and an armourer. He's also been a firearms instructor for um, the US military. So he's very competent. Right, because her experience is being called into question. Hannah's 24. This was her apparently her second big film, and it's been revealed that reportedly she said on a podcast she almost didn't take this job because she thought she wasn't ready. Do you think she had enough experience to handle this level of risk? As I don't know her, I can't really comment, but she made the comment that she was frightened about loading blanks, and I think we need to clear up the possibility of language definitions here. When she's talking about loading blanks, she's not talking about putting them in the gun. She's talking about manufacturing them. (laughs) So that's normally referred to as loading blanks in firearm circles. So she was saying that she felt she didn't have enough experience to manufacture blanks and she was being taught how to manufacture blanks, as I understand it. So that's as as different to not being experienced in handling weapons on a set? No, it's completely different. So Alec Bolden was handed the gun by his assistant director who reportedly said it was cold. Is it normal that someone other than the armourer handles the weapon before it gets in the actor's hands? This is a major breach in Australian culture. I've had it happen to me hundreds, possibly thousands of times where an assistant director has taken a gun off an actor or has wanted to hand a gun to an actor. And it's an absolute no-no. No No other member of crew, bar the armourer, should be handling the weapons except the person that the armourer hands the weapon to and receives the weapon back from ADs who want to push and go faster, faster, faster all the time Mm. are doing two things wrong in this case. One, they're handling a weapon they shouldn't be touching. They're interceding between the armourer and the actor or stunt person where the procedure is to show that person that the weapon is clear and that it has dummy ammunition in it, that they are dummy ammunition. You take them out and you prove to them that they're dummy ammunition. Mm. So to go back to the handling of the weapon, and you're saying this assistant director should never have been handling the weapon, it should have gone straight from the armourer to Alec Baldwin. 
is the procedure that the actor gets to look down the barrel for themselves normally? Because I can't imagine personally being handed a gun, pointing at someone and clicking it without having properly visually checked it for myself. So we would demonstrate the weapon was clear to them and then we would demonstrate it was clear to the actor as we handed it to them. And like I say, if it's not clear, if it's got dummy ammunition in it, we'd demonstrate that that was dummy ammunition. Okay, when you say clear, you mean nothing in the barrel? Yes. Okay, but in cases where it's dummy ammunition, you will actually pull it out of the barrel and show the actor that it's not a live round? Absolutely. So can you believe that this has happened, that given the, the way people are supposed to work, given that the level of this production, that something like this was allowed to happen, that clearly some substandard practices were able to creep in at this level? Yes, I can. Mm. You know, it always happens when time is short. There aren't enough people and everything is being rushed and they've hired the lowest priced person who is normally not the most experienced. Will this happen again? If something doesn't change, it will. What needs to change? Uh, a level of um, qualification and experience needs to be established. Producers need to get more involved in making sure that the people they hire are suitably qualified and experienced. Qualification alone is nothing. Experience needs to be checked. And it's not just in armoury, it's in special effects, it's in stunts, it's in all, everything. John Bowring, Australian armourer and gunsmith. And I'll be very interested to see if there's any criminal or civil lawsuits from this tragic accident and whether practices on film sets in America change for the better or whether once all the emotion dies down that it all goes back to normal where cost pressures can lead people to cut corners and take risks with people's lives. Tomorrow on The Briefing, why Dave Chappelle is in an argument with Hannah Gadsby. Listener.